Good morning, everyone. I'm Ed Kalenka. Welcome to Let's Save Thousands. And I'm Bev Kalenka. Good morning, everybody. We have a good show today, Ed. Bev, today we're going to be talking about strategies for today's buyers. Yes, we are. And before we do that, let's open up the door a little bit and discuss some of the information that's coming out there in the media with regards to real estate and how crazy it is and, you know, skies falling, et cetera. Can, can we address that a little bit? Because I, I think it's important. I think it's a necessary preface to, to this conversation because... Okay. As we know, buyers should be discerning that information that they receive, kind of triangulating the data, if you will, in order to make a clear determination of uh, what's reality and what's not. Correct. I do think it's important, Ed. If you just, for example, if you just Google Yahoo Housing Market, the, some of the headlines you get, I'm, it's U.S. housing prices are about to tumble, demand for new houses crater. Uh, U.S. housing market has gone cold. Home sellers are realizing it's no longer their housing market. The housing market has absolutely shifted in declining home sales. And the last one that I'm going to just spew out is the rising interest rates are crushing the U.S. housing market. In addition to that, I had seen an alarming headline stating, you know, quoting one individual stating that the 2008 housing crisis is on our horizon. It'll yeah. be worse than that. Yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah. And if, and if you go to a couple different sources, and, I'm, and again. Uh, well, let's talk about those sources. Yeah. You go to Market Watch, and you have a little bit more realistic uh, perspective. You'll, if you research uh, National Association of Realtors, you're going to have a different perspective. Uh, I mean, they have I don't know how many economists on hand to provide all of the data that any prospective seller or buyer would want, as as also the realtors. Um, it was interesting that Dave Ramsey yeah. came out with a wonderful explanation of why we are not going to be in a housing crisis in the near future, yeah. in which he delineated that people, instead of relying on these inflammatory headlines, this clickbait, if you will, that we should be relying on the data. And in that, he related the data shows that we have so much more buyer need than we have inventory and that builders can't keep up with the demand. So there's a housing shortage for the amount of buyers. Right. In addition to that, we have talked about in previous episodes uh, the impact that COVID has had, that what the impact that the war in the Ukraine has had on material scarcity. And it's not to say that we're not getting back to that you know, 2018-19 market that we talked about last week with sellers, but it's it can be very hyper-local, right? I mean, it still can be a very aggressive market for sellers today because the inventory is limited and we still have a massive pool of buyers, interest rates high or not, and, it, and the reality is interest rates really are not that high. And your interest rates have come down recently. Right, right. So um, I just think it's important for for us before we start to get into that whole strategy for buyers that the public needs to be really reviewing what they're reading and making sure that, like you said, triangulate, that they're, that they're not just looking at one particular 
um, station or newspaper in that they're looking at a, several to make sure that they're getting a balance. It's difficult to find out what is real today and what is not. Yeah. I mean, media is doing a great, you know, fear-mongering type of, and, and, you know, I mean, thank God we have people in journalism. We've got a daughter in journalism, but... And we've had clients of ours in journalism who have let us know that if it bleeds, it leads. Yes. Yes. You know, and everybody loves to watch a train wreck. And so that's what's happening with, you know, these sensationalistic headlines. Uh, and now we have new bait click, you know, with the way people are getting their information through the Internet. Yes. So be cautious. Be aware. Read up. Make sure that the sources that you're reading are, are solid sources, that they're valid and justifiable because the housing market is not going anywhere. Um, it, it is gonna return to, as we mentioned, uh, a, a little bit of a normal market where things are, you know, your days on market are not gonna be uh, two days, three minutes and 72 seconds. Or right. <laughs> Right, and so what's going to happen is you're not going to be getting 21 offers. It's going to go back to the time is you're going to sell your house in three to four months instead of three to four hours. And, and you know, you make a great point because we've been doing this for 32 years, right? And the average days on market were always somewhere around 45 to 90, depending on the town, depending on the location. Price and condition. Right. And... and so except for during COVID, it was, you know, two seconds and it was off the market with 75 offers. So, you know, we're starting, it's starting to level out. Again, hyper-local, but, you know, some markets you could be a little bit longer on days on markets. But, you know, train cities and areas that have trains, they tend to be a little bit more competitive. But for the most part, we're starting to get back to that breathing for buyers. Bev, you have a study to share with our listeners. Yes. So I want to go to the 2021 NAR home buyer and seller generational trend. First time home buyers age group. So 82% of the first time home buyers are ages 22 to 30. 48% ages 31 to 40. 22% are going to be your 40, ages 41 to 55. 11% are going to be your ages 56 to 65. And 4% are your 66 to 74. So, again, to know your audience, right? Right. And in that study, they listed a number of motivating factors. They did. Which I, primary reason for purchasing a home. So we're only going to deal with the top six because they give about 19. And they really kind of delve in here. The first one would be your desire to own your own home. Second would be desire for a larger home. The third would be desire to be closer to family, friends, and relatives. Fourth would be change in family situation. And they reference marriage, birth of a child, divorce, etc. Fifth will be job-related relocation or move. And six would be desire for smaller home. Again, there's like 19, 20 of these, but we're only going to deal with the top six. I'm being called by seven and eight, which are looking to live in a better area. And number eight is retirement. Right, right. All right, so how does that first grouping 
categorize those six topics? So desire to own an, your own home, um, 56% are going to be the young millennials, which is that 22 to 30-year-old. 30, 30 so let's look at all of the young millennials' top, top six reasons. So desire for larger home is 6%. Desire to be close to family and relatives. This is really good. It's only 2% for the 22 to 30-year-olds. Sorry, mom and dad and aunt and uncles. Um, change in family situation, marriage, birth, uh, divorce, um, 7% for the under 30. Job-related, I was surprised. It's only 5% here. And desire for a smaller home, it's 1%, which makes sense. Now, what about the older millennials? So you move to the 31 to 40-year-olds, desire to own your own home is 39%. So same thing. The bulk is they, you know, they want to get roots, start roots. Desire for a larger home, 15%. Desire to live closer to family, friends, and relatives, again, only 2%. So right there, that 22 to 40 tells you they, they really don't want to be living too close to mom and dad and aunts and uncles. Um, Change in family situation here, a marriage, birth, child, divorce is 8%. Job-related move is 7%, so it creeps up a little bit. Uh, desire for a smaller home is 3%. All right, now when we move to the Gen Xers, right. what do we see? So this age group is 41 to 55. Desire to own, an own your own home is 24%. Desire for a larger home creeps up also, 14%. Desire to be by family, friends, mom, dad, et cetera, 4%. Change in family situation, marriage, birth, so forth. And you can see how this starts to creep up at that age. It's 10%. Um, job relocation, 10%. And desire for a smaller home, 4%. Right. And so now we move to the young baby boomers between 56 and 65 years old. Correct. So desire to own your own home is 15%. A larger home, 6%. Uh, change in desire to live close to family and friends. And this jumps f to 14%. So the previous age group from 22 to 55, it was 2 to 4%. As soon as you hit that 56, they want to live near family. Right. Well, this makes sense because you may have grandchildren you want to live next to. Yeah, yeah. I mean, how many times have we sold a home where... They want to stay in town, so they kind of downsize, sell their house, and, and move to the local condo or townhouse in the community or mm -hmm. next community. Uh, Job-related move is 6%, and the desire for a smaller home up starts to creep up at 7%. And the last category is our older baby boomers from right. 66 to 74. Right. So their desire to own a home is 6%. Um, Desire for a larger home, 6%. Desire to move closer to family and friends ratchets way up to 23%. So that's 66 to 74, similar to what you said. They want to be near their, their grandkids. They want to be near their kids. Um, that really moves up high. Uh, desire to, um, excuse me, change in family situation, uh, marriage, birth, child, divorce, 7%. Job-related relocation is 1%. And the desire for a smaller home really ratchets up to 13%. So interesting data. It's interesting data for, for buyers to understand when, they, you know, when they're examining their particular age bracket. Mm -hmm. uh, and then through the lens of these 
uh, motivating factors, mm-hmm. uh, they get to examine it and really get to know themselves. Well, and understand the comp- if you're in competition, right? I- I- exactly, because as we look now, the greatest pool of buyers are millennials, mm-hmm. uh, and they are competing with other millennials. Mm-hmm. Correct. You know, and so when we have a shortage of inventory, there's no wonder why we end up with multiple offers. Right. And with the competition, that's increasing the price. So on that note, let's talk about some strategies for today's buyers. Okay, Ed. First one is know your numbers. It's essential to create a plan and to stick to that plan. And so when you're looking at your numbers, consult with a mortgage professional uh, who can analyze your debt-to-income ratio and offer you a pre-approval after examining your credit, examining your work status, and your assets. So this is going to be essential when you are looking to make that offer. You have everything at the ready to pull the trigger. And the second strategy is going to be understanding your specific needs. Right? This is going to be commuting, to commute, not to commute. Uh, what type of, of property are you looking for? Townhouse, condo, single-family home with yard maintenance. What's your dream home look like? Exactly. Right. How many bedrooms? You know, how much working space do you have? Do you have a yard? Do you need a yard? Do you need a place for a pet? So you can go in there and you can create a checklist. There are buyer's guides that are excellent that kind of have this whole grid where you could just check off each little desirable thing that you're looking for. And, and one of the biggest things is school systems, right? I mean, communities, what the community has to offer, what kind of activities, how involved they are, what they, what they do. Um, and school systems are, are paramount. Yeah, and school systems have a lot to offer, you know, and they need to meet the buyer's uh, array of needs, whether that be artistic needs, athletic needs, academic needs, and most importantly, are there special needs for the students? Right, right. You know, so each town, each county is different, so you need to investigate that. Right, and that's due diligence on, on the buyer. So the next thing is lining up your professional. That's right. So here's where it's important to make sure that you secure a real estate broker, real estate salesperson that is going to create that team for you and give you the guidance and instruction that you need. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be back with lining up your professionals. So Ed, um, lining up the professional is probably the most important strategy from here on in. It's essential that you grab a licensed real estate agent or broker that has experience, that's educated in the business, that has a track record and has an association uh, with a number of professionals that are going to be required and also has that exposure to the market and the experience in working with other agents because the agent that you choose to represent you is going to be representing your best interests you know, with other agents when you're putting in that offer. So it's important to make sure that that agent has the ability to fluidly communicate with other agents on your behalf in order to get you the best deal that you deserve. I agree. And they create the team for you. I mean, this is a total team effort. Your real estate professional is going to recommend 
a real estate attorney or usually one to three real estate attorneys for you to interview. These are going to be attorneys that are incredibly experienced in real estate and will focus on making sure that you are going to be protected during this entire transaction. A lot of people don't recognize there are about 84 people who will be involved in your transaction from the beginning to the end. Right, that touch it. Mm -hmm. A lot of hands are dealing with this pot, you mm -hmm. know, and mm -hmm. uh, it's a matter of your agent being able to help orchestrate this dance, if you will. Well, they're at the helm. They're at the helm, and they're the ones that start the, the whole team. Right, and you expect them to have their fingers on the pulse of this transaction and help to marshal it to a successful close. Right. So this element is extremely important. Right. So they will they will offer the referrals of a, of real estate uh, attorneys that you will interview. They will offer home inspectors um, that are experienced that will guide you during the entire inspection process, and that home inspector is going to also going provide additional inspectors because it's not just the house you're inspecting. There's a litany of other inspections that you're going to be doing during that home inspection clause in order to make sure you're protected. It's um, important to understand also, you know, for that buyer, that they're representing uh, you. The attorney represents you, not the agent. That's right. The home inspector represents you, not the agent. That's right. Or the homeowner. They represent you. So each of them has an obligation to look at your best interests. It's an important to understand that that agent should help marshal that, that cause all the way through. Right. The, uh, pr the real estate professional will provide a title company, and usually that title company is associated with a settlement company. Your real estate professional will make sure that they will guide you with regards to some due diligence here, you know, making sure that you as a buyer or your attorney run Oprah's and so forth. Right. Well, what is an Oprah for those who don't know? Open Public Records, Records. Act, which allows an individual to uh, apply for history on a specific property. Right, which is going to give you a history of those permits that were taken out so when you go look at a property, you're going to see, oh, my gosh, this is beautiful. Uh, they've got a brand-new bathroom, brand-new kitchen. When you do the Oprah and all of a sudden you find out, you know what, there weren't permits here, you understand this may be a red flag and a cause for your attorney to request that you have the municipality right. uh, conduct inspections. But these are just little nuances that you would expect your agent to help oversee. Right. So this is this is the step three here is is – the most important. And the next is strategy is implementation, right? This is where you got to get up off your chair as a buyer and you got to go out and you got to start looking. This is working the plan. That's right. You know, this is where you've got to put that little bit of sweat equity into the purchasing of your own property. Right. So that means doing some research. Right. Researching the areas and the communities, um, the school systems. And many times this means talking to friends and family who live in the area. Yeah. You know, so they're going to, they're going to have a good understanding. Uh, and it's also a matter of doing those um, surveillance missions. Well, we're not talking about stalking here, Ed. 
We're talking about buyers are primarily looking at properties online. 85, 95% introduction is online. So once they see it online, it behooves them to either hop in the car, go, you know, take a, a bus or a train and walk the neighborhood or drive the neighborhood to get a feel for location. If it, you know, if it's close to shopping centers that you need or, you know, for me, it's got to be close to a coffee shop. If I'm not close to a coffee shop, I'm not a happy cowgirl. So it's getting out there and doing the legwork that buyers need to do, right? That's essential. And I want to just say that, you know, pictures on, on online are, can be a little deceiving. So it's, They're artists. <laughs> They're absolutely artists. It's one thing to be looking at something online. It's a whole different story when you actually are standing in front of the property and there is, you know, two commercial buildings to the right and a multi-unit to the left. So that's why it's important for the buyer to go out, look at the property, preview the inside, know the neighborhood, and then be able to make an assessment or determination. Yeah, that works for me. No, that doesn't. Okay. Well, here is where that affiliation with a professional realtor will do a lot of that or sure. some of that for, for, for the buyer. Sure. Now, we've had it where people have said, hey, Ed, here's a gorgeous house. Go take a look at it. And I go run at the property, look at the property, and realize that's a beautiful picture. You know, <laughs> but the back of the house is, is up against the highway. The front of the house, you know, is, you know, is, is up against the parking lot. Yeah. And to the left of the house is a commercial building. But it is a beautiful home. Yeah. You know, but it's not anything that the buyer was looking for. Yeah. You know, and since they're coming in from out of state, they're not going to be overly happy when they come. Said, "Look, I've drove in four hours to get here, and this isn't anything that I wanted. How come you didn't tell me?" Right. That's on the onus of the agent right. to do some of that legwork. Right, and also like floodplain properties. Right. I mean, there are a, a lot of the MLSs don't necessarily require that you mark something, whether it's in the floodplain or not. Um, and that may be a determination that the buyers like. I don't want to be in the floodplain because flood insurance cost money. All right, so we've taken a tangent now to busy roads, you know, commercial properties and floodplain bottom line, that you need to be aware of. Right. Bottom line <laughs> is buyers got to go out, take a look at the property also. Agent can help, do primers, uh, get an idea, assist, but the bottom line is you can, this is this is you doing your due diligence and legwork. Right. And and keep in mind, wonderful properties in the floodplain, wonderful properties on double yellow line streets, mm -hmm. you know, they're not vacant, mm -hmm. you know, and uh, but does it fit your need? Correct. So that's the key. Right. You got to develop your plan based upon your needs, and you need to do some of the research. And part of that research is doing the legwork, getting out there, right. uh, and actually seeing some of the property. Google Maps also helps oh, in yeah. doing a Google search. You can see yeah. up and down a number of the streets, but it's not the same as physically going out there for yourself. Correct, and seeing the inside, and the answer. All right, number five strategy is going to be having the best understanding of the physical property. I mean, this is everything. When you start shopping for a property, it is, it, it's typically emotionally driven, right? 90% or so are going to be that one side of the brain. It's uh, exciting. Well, and folks, I hate to tell you, it's not HDTV. <laughs> you know, this is, this is true reality. Right. So when you go out there, 
it, one of the fiduciary obligations of a realtor is to disclose. So that means if they see it, they've got to tell you. You're talking about material defects. I'm talking about material defects. Right. And also, today's market, a lot of sellers will do a seller disclosure. Make sure you get a copy of that. It is not the be-all to end-all, but it does help. This is also where your agent will make sure that they guide you to, to ensure that as a buyer, you or your attorney get an Oprah, which is a history of all of the property, uh, all the permits on the property, excuse me. Yeah, and so what happens here now, we want you to have that excellent understanding of the physical nature of the property mm -hmm. so that we're getting ready to put pen to paper. That's right, and that's our sixth strategy. And there's two components to this. The first is going to be best foot forward. You're writing up a contract, your agent's writing up a contract, you want to provide a pre-approval. You're going to be differentiating yourself from other buyers here, understanding you're competing with other buyers. Right. And you want to put that best foot forward. You want it structured in such a way that it's enticing to the seller. So deposit monies, make sure that they're typically up front. Inspections, depending on what the house looks like, guide it, yourself accordingly. And it's also meeting the needs of the seller. So right. that means if the seller wants to close in 30 days, you're ready to accommodate that. If the seller wants to close in 60 to 90 days, you're ready to close it. So you're in communication with your agent and having that understanding of the seller's needs before you put this pen to paper. Absolutely. And the second component is going to be negotiating in good faith. I, I mean, I, this is a, a big one as far as I'm concerned. Well, negotiating in good faith means that you're not going to be looking to get a windfall after doing a home inspection. Once again, looking through the house, you should be proactive, getting an understanding of the physical nature of, of, the, of the property. And it also means putting in one offer at a time. You're not putting in five offers on five different properties, negotiating everything at the same time. Don't do that. Focus on the one house you want and negotiate in good faith. Now you've got an accepted offer. Now it's time to put your team in action so they can help marshal you to a successful close. Right. Everybody's got the same goal here. So just to recap, our strategies are know your numbers, right? Understand the specific needs that you're looking for. Line up the professionals. Implementation. Having, a, having the best understanding of the physical property. And put pen to paper. And that should be a wrap, Ed. Our radio show is Let's Save Thousands. We hope that these six strategies help you in attaining that goal. All right. We look forward to seeing you again. Next week. All right. Thank same you for, time, same channel. That's right. Thank you for joining us. And once again, let's save thousands.